Well, good morning. Whether we call it Triumphal Entry Sunday, Palm Sunday, Passion Week Sunday, uh, it is the day that Jesus goes into Jerusalem. His heart, his mind is set on one thing, that he is bound to be your Redeemer. That ought to make you glad. We, we could not save ourselves. We could not redeem ourselves. We could not, we could not bear our own sin for ourselves. Christ bore that sin for us. And because he bore that sin for us, we now have been declared to be righteous in the sight of God. For all those who have come to profess Jesus Christ as the Lord and the Savior, you do so because God had foreordained that Jesus Christ go to the cross, bear your sin, bear the Father's wrath, die, be buried, rose again on the third day. God declared all that to be the fact, and it did happen just that way. So would you please take your Bibles now and turn to Luke chapter 19 and beginning at verse 28. We're going to read about the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 28, we'll read through verse 40. After he had said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he approached Bethphage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you. There, as you enter, you will find a colt tied onto which no one has yet ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away, found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to him, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus and they threw their coats on the colt and put, it in Jesus, and put Jesus on it. As he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Let's pray. Father, Jesus set his heart and his mind to go to Jerusalem. And there within a matter of a few days, he would be nailed to a, to a cross. Lord, it was our sin that put him there. But Lord, it was our sin that was paid for. Lord, we are purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we thank you. Thank you so much for that. Now, Lord, I just ask that as this message is preached, Father, may we have attentive ears to it, Lord. Not so much to hear what I say, but Lord, to listen to you. Lord, your word is truth. And uh, Lord, any way that I would present it would be uh, uh, more, more contemptible than anything else, Lord. For I, 
would fail miserably in declaring the, the truth of your word. But Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would ignite a flame within the heart of the people, Lord. Uh, Lord, that that passion would, 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 would take that uh, stone-cold heart and make it uh, pliable. Soften it, Father, that would hear the word of truth about Jesus Christ. And Lord, may that heart come to know Christ this day as the Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So before we look at our passage concerning the entry of Christ into Jerusalem, I, I think it would, uh, it would serve us well if, uh, if we went before that, went to a time before that, and, and looked at those things that, uh, that, that preceded that arrival into Jerusalem. There, there are some things that happened that, that we need to look at because it's, it's kind of like how we think. You know, what we're going to look at here in just a couple of moments is, is the way we think today. And, and sometimes there, there are some important things said to us. And have you ever had anybody say something to you and was really important and you missed it? I mean, ask my wife. <laughs> she says important things to me all the time, and I miss it. And I know that uh, there are others who are guilty of that also. We, we hear things, but we don't listen to things. I would like for you, so that you can hear and listen and understand, I would like for you to take your Bibles and just turn one book over to the book, the Gospel of, of Mark, chapter 10. I want you to look at Mark chapter 10 and verses 32 through 34. We read in Mark's Gospel, beginning to the 10th chapter, verse 32, it says, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were fearful. And again, he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him. Listen, do you, do you all hear that? He took the twelve aside, and he says, this was going to happen. Verse 33, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests, and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, and spit on him, and scourge him, and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. Now, you all heard that, you all read that. So here we have Jesus telling his disciples all that will happen to him. Verse 34 in Mark's gospel Again states, he took the 12 aside. This is, this is very crucial. He took the 12 aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him. So let's review what Jesus says. He says, he will be given over to the chief priests and to the scribes. He also says he will be condemned to death. He also says he will be handed over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked and spat upon. And then he says he will be scourged and put to death. Now he says all those things. His 12 disciples are with him. But then, but then Jesus gives this, this amazing announcement of incredible and, uh, and, and a glorious event that will follow. And he says, and three days later, 
Three days later, he will rise again. So he gives, he tells about his, his agony, his death. He tells about his burial, and he tells about the fact that he's going to rise again. He gives all that information out. Now, if you were one of those 12 disciples, and somebody told you that, would you suppose that you would be in a state of shock and dismay if somebody told you that? You would, there would be total disbelief. If, 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 if you were with Jesus and, and you seen all that he had done for three years, an incredible life, a perfect life, you would, you would not believe that he was going to die. You would not believe that the Gentiles would kill him. You would not believe that the chief priests and the scribes would have their way with him and spit on him, would you? You would never believe that. But that's not what happens. Jesus had his 12 disciples, and in that group of 12 disciples, he had the three, the three, core, the three core guys. Remember who they were? Peter and James and John. Well, two of those three, they're right with Jesus. They are the inner circle. They are as close to Jesus as you can get. Their minds are completely devoid of what Jesus is saying. How do we know this? Because what they're thinking about is their mind is completely occupied by thoughts of personal benefit and recognition. Sometimes when people are talking to you, you're thinking of the next day or the next event. Or maybe if I'm speaking to you today, you may be thinking of the ball game and not hearing what I'm saying to you. So listen. <laughs> listen to what I'm saying to you. We sometimes hear things, but we don't listen to things. They say to Jesus, they say to Jesus, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. You find that in verse 35 of Mark's gospel, chapter 10. Jesus, we want you to do whatever, whatever, whatever we're going to ask you, we want you to do it. Now, right then, right then, Jesus said, wait a minute. But he lets them continue because once you start digging a hole, he's going to let them dig it all the way. You know, isn't it kind of audacious to somebody to say, God, whatever we, we want, we want you to do it for us. I'm sure God's going to hear that prayer. Whatever we want. So when I walk outside today, there should be a brand new Rolls Royce parked up there. Whatever, whatever we want, right? Jesus then asked them, what they want in verse 36 of Mark's gospel. What do you want? And here's what they say, verse 37. He says, grant, grant that we may sit on your right and on your left in your glory. What they're thinking of, Jesus is going to Jerusalem to do what? Not to die. He's going to establish the kingdom. He's going to be sitting in David's throne. And Jesus, when you get there, 
when you get to be the president, me and my brother, we want to be the vice president and the secretary of state. Now, wouldn't you suppose that Jesus is probably going, I've only got a few days left and you're not getting it. I am going to die. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. So let's get back to our text now in chapter 19 of Luke. This, this is the prelude to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. It, it didn't start well, did it? It didn't start well. There's misunderstanding already. In verse, nine, in, in, in verse 28 of Luke 19, it says, He was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Do you see here that Jesus was moving forward to fulfill the very mission to which the Father had prepared and planned from the foundation of the world? You know, God... God has a decreed plan, a decreed will for you. God has a decreed will for Hazelwood Baptist Church. God has a decreed will for you. And nothing, nothing thwarts God's decreed will. Nothing in heaven or earth or under the earth or anything, anything, Anything that's natural or supernatural, nothing can thwart the decreed will of God. When Jesus was moving ahead to Jerusalem, his eye was fixed, his heart was fixed, his mind was fixed on the, on the cross and the resurrection. On the cross and the resurrection because he says, they're going to kill me, but I'm going to rise again. His heart was fixed. He knew exactly what he needed to do because he needed to get his sheep in his sheepfold. He needed to get you where you need to be. I told you this before, that God, God has prepared this day, this, this April the 2nd, the year 2023, for you to be his disciples. It was God's plan for the ages for you to be here, for you to be his witnesses, for you to be his disciples today. He didn't ask Peter. He didn't ask John or Paul or James. He, he said that you will be his disciples. He looked at Jerusalem. He sees the cross. He sees the tomb, and he sees victory. He says, I'm going, I'm going ahead to Jerusalem. His eye was fixed on that. In 1 Peter chapter 1, let me, let me read this for you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Listen to what Peter writes. He says, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Christ, not that God knew him, God plan from before the foundation of the world that Jesus Christ would come and die and be the Savior 
That was God's plan. One might only begin to imagine the agony of his souls. He rode into Israel's capital city. His journey into Jerusalem was not one of pleasure, but of fearful thoughts that within a few days he would be beaten and nailed to a wooden cross. And to add to that, the very idea, the very idea that, that he would become the, the very thing that he despised and hated the most. He would become that which to him was, was the most evil, most wicked, most vile thing that could po- a person could possibly have attached to them, and that is sin. That he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we may become what? Righteous before God. Christ would soon be offered up as our Passover lamb. He would be the bearer of our sins. He would be the bearer of his father's wrath and his father's rejection. Now we can begin to understand why he would cry out in agonizing pain while on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Could you imagine being there at that time, somewhere between 12 and, 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 and 3 o'clock, when the sky grew dark, the sun had been eclipsed, and nothing but darkness throughout the whole land? Then you hear the, 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 the screams of the people as they yelled out, cursing, shaking a fist. Saying, if, if you're God, come down from this cross. Folks, that was your sin. Your sin being placed upon him. As Jesus, bearing your sin, cries out to a father who had turned his back and rejected him. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus dies alone. There's no angel there to help him. There's no one to, to, to lend him aid or send some type of ease his way. He pulls himself up on a cross just to get a breath of air, and then the weight of the gravity of his body just pulls him back down again, and and then as the lung can no longer breathe, he pulls himself back up, wanting more air. That's your sin. You did that, and I did that. But in spite of his knowing all these things. We, we go back to that one verse in verse 28. and says he was going on ahead. He knew all this, but he says, I'm, I'm going on ahead. I'm going to Jerusalem. Jesus had left the small village of Bethphage, traveling east to west. You know, Bethphage and, and Bethany are, are really close together, just like two cities together, and just a couple of miles or so from, from, from Jerusalem. And he was traveling from, from, from east to west, heading to Jerusalem, heading toward the temple. And he asked a couple of his disciples to go and bring to him a, a donkey and its colt. So for, for us to understand this, what is the significance of all this? 
If you look at Exodus chapter 12, let me just read some verses for you. In Exodus chapter 12, God is speaking to Moses. He's telling him, he says, this is what you've got to tell Israel. He says, speak to the congregation of Israel saying, on the 10th of this month. Now understand something. When I say the 10th of the month, you think of April the 10th. But that's not, their calendar is not our calendar. We are a, we have a solar calendar. Theirs was not solar. Theirs was lunar. It was governed by the moon. And the first of their month will be the middle of our month. Their day did not start at 12 o'clock and end at 12 o'clock. Their day started at 6 o'clock at night, somewhere around there, and ended the next day at 6 o'clock at night. It was an evening and a morning and an evening for their, for their full day. Exodus 12, 3 says, on the 10th of this month, which would be somewhere for us around the end of March or the 1st of April. But don't hold that solid because, again, it's governed by the moon, not by the sun. But somewhere around, like right now, would be like the 10th of their month. They are each one, on the 10th of the month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves a lamb for each household. <clears throat> and then it says in verse 6 of chapter 12 of Exodus, you shall keep it, <clears throat> excuse me, you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. That means you're going to hold it for four days. Then the whole assembly, the congregation of Israel is to do what? Kill it at twilight. Are you getting the picture? We're going to kill this lamb somewhere around 3 o'clock or so. About the time that Jesus would die. That's when they would kill that lamb. Before they even, This is 1,400 years before Jesus came along. That's the Passover. So what we have here is Jesus entering Jerusalem on, 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 on a Sunday of the week. And on the and by the Friday of that week, he is crucified. He dies somewhere around 3 p.m. And as we read in Exodus 12, 6, this happens at twilight. That's their twilight time. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is his prelude to his passion. All according, all according to the plan of God. How do we know it was God's plan? In Acts chapter 2 and verse 23. We read Peter preaching. Peter's, Peter's preaching. He says, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Listen, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. God planned it. He did so because he wanted you to be his disciples. He wanted you and I to be in his kingdom. There are seven and a half billion, maybe eight billion people in the world. But he wanted you and millions of others like us around this world. He wanted us to be in his kingdom. Oh, pastor, why isn't there more people going to be in God's kingdom? Because the Bible says that the way that leads to eternal life is what? Narrow. Narrow. And the way that leads to perdition is what? Wide. Wide. 
Jesus died to get you to be his disciples, to get you into his sheepfold, to get you into his kingdom. How is it that we as Christians so often find ourselves wanting a religion that promotes ease and comfort? We go to a ball game, football, baseball, whatever, go to a ball game, and uh, you pay the person at the booth, I don't know, $50, $100, I don't know. I went to a game one time, I had to take five bank loans out to get in there. <laughs> Seriously, it cost me $60 to park, 60 I don't pay that much for my car. Cars aren't worth 60 bucks. You go to a game and you sit there and, and, and they give you this, uh, pay a million dollars for the ticket, and, and, you, and they give you this hard plastic chair that flips down to sit on. And, 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 and you're sitting there and it's either in the hot blazing sun, and, and if you have a nice head of hair like me, it doesn't bother you much, but you're sitting in a hot blazing sun or if you go in the winter time you're freezing to death man isn't this great here we have a dome we have a dome stadium and we got wonderful padded pews and we have air conditioning in the summer and heat in the winter you can take your coat off in here. Or in fact, even in the summertime, now that we're getting close, people come in wearing shorts. We want you to be comfortable, right? Oh, preacher, I don't know. Church is just, it's just, it's just so uncomfortable there. So that stadium is a lot more comfortable for you? Is that, is that right? Is that what I'm hearing? That stadium is more comfortable for you? And a guy above you is dipping his beer on your head. Is that, that's more comfortable? That guy's getting paid $30 million a year to play whatever he's playing. Is he going to die for you? He's dying to get you there. <laughs> Listen. We want ease and comfort. In our wanting ease and comfort, ask yourself this. What did Jesus have? He's called the suffering servant who in his life had so little of ease and comfort. So little of it. Because the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God was not for Jesus to have ease and comfort, but to get him to the cross, to get him to die, to get him to suffer, so that you and I could have eternal life. And Jesus enters Jerusalem, and then we read in Luke 19, 37, the whole crowd of his disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. 
Listen, what miraculous things have you seen? What, what, what wonderful, miraculous things have you seen? What, what has Jesus done in your life that you right now should be praising him for? When, when you were unloved and enslaved by Satan, the Bible says he loved you. When you were dead in your sins and, and enemies of God, the Bible says he made you alive. When you were down and out, unwanted, misused, felt unneeded, the Bible says he raised you up. And when you were unsettled, insecure, unsatisfied with the journey that you were on in this life, the Bible says he seated you in heavenly places with himself. I think it's pretty wonderful, isn't it? Jesus seated you with himself. What do I need to do to rest in Christ? You know, we get up in the morning and sometimes, you know, the first thing you do is put your feet on the floor. Maybe you walk over to the restroom and brush your teeth and do whatever you need to do. And, and uh, you ever just stop to think that maybe I should get down on my knees and say a prayer? Who sustains you through the night? Who kept that heart of yours beating through the night? Who kept that blood flowing through all those veins and arteries through the night? Who kept your liver working? And then for the older you get, you know that your kidneys are working. Who did all that? No, say that's science. No, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. Sometimes we feel weak. Sometimes we feel beaten. Listen, there's, there's, a, there's a hymn out there that, that says this. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. It's comfortable being in Jesus. You want ease and comfort? It's comfortable being in Jesus. He'll never give you a cross that's too heavy for you to bear. There's never a road that's too hard for you to travel on. There's never a journey that you'll have to take that you say that you, that you can't reach the destination line. When you are in Christ, everything that God has purposed for you, every, listen, the Lord directs the steps of his people. You say, oh, pastor, I don't want to go through all this hardship. You know, do you realize something? Have you ever thought about an, an Olympian, a person, the person that, that's in the Olympics, you know, in order for them to be an Olympian, do you think the, they just wake up and say, man, I can do this? No, 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 no. Do you have to work a little bit for that? You know, I learned something in the Christian faith. In order for me to get from here to there, I got to go through something. 
And life is just like that. In order for you to get from here to there in a Christian life, you've got to go through some things. Because somewhere between here and there, there is the valley of death, isn't there? And every one of us walk through that in some form or fashion or some way. We all have to walk through that. You ever get a call? I have. I get a call from a doctor and say, Pat, you have cancer. Sometimes you've got to go through something in order to get somewhere. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Christian life is just not a bed of roses because the Christian life, there is with that life something like that. You take that to the Lord in prayer. Friends, let's not allow. Let's, we have so much to be thankful for and praising God for and blessing Jesus for. Let's not allow the very rocks and stones that he has created be the ones that cry out and thank him for that. It should be you and I that cry out and thank him for that. Psalm 22.2, if I can paraphrase Psalm 22.2, it goes like this. You, O Lord, are the object of your people's praises. If you and I don't applaud him and don't praise him and don't bless him, then creation itself will. Let's not give them that opportunity. Let's you and I be the ones who offer praise and glory and thanksgiving to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much, Lord, that today we have this opportunity, Lord, just to bless you and thank you. Lord, you're going to the cross paying that horrendous, horrendous debt for our sin, Lord. Thank you, thank you. Lord, without you, we would, we would be lost and headed for Satan's hell. But, Lord, you raised us up. You seated us in heavenly places. Father, we are with you, Lord. We're with you spiritually, Lord. And there's a day coming, Lord, when you will raise up these bodies once we die. And we will be raised up with you with new glorified bodies. Jesus, we thank you for that. What a gift we have in Christ our Lord. Now, Lord, it's time for response, Lord. There might be someone here, Lord, that does not know you, that needs to know you today, Lord. I'm not asking them to become a Baptist or become a member of this church, Lord. I, that's not what we're here for. Lord, we're just asking, we want them to know you. Just to know you, Lord, that know you as the Savior and Lord of their lives. Father, I pray today that your Holy Spirit will work in, in, in each heart that needs to be worked on. Lord, turning that heart of stone to a heart of flesh to soften it, make it pliable so that they can understand and receive your word, your truth. Lord, that they can receive the gift of salvation that only you can offer in Christ's name. Amen. My friend, let me ask you, just real simple, real quick. Are you a believer that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life. Do you know that? Do you believe that with all of your heart? You know, you know that, you know that, you know that you are a Christian. 
If you don't know that and you want to say, I want, I, I want to know that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. I'm going to ask you to do something today. As the Spirit of God is dealing with your heart right now, listen, because He's dealing with your heart, He's already regenerated that heart. He's made it, he's made it so you understand that, that you need to become a Christian. He's done that. It's called regeneration. He's made your heart alive. I want to ask you to do something with the faith that God has given you. I want you to do this right now. Repent of your sin in your own mind. Repent of your sin. Lord, I'm a sinner. I confess my sin to you. I repent of my sin. Lord Jesus, come into my life as my Lord and my Savior. And I thank you for doing that. Something as simple as that. Repenting of your sin, acknowledging that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Folks, if that's what you feel in your heart, if that's what you need in your heart, listen, the angels in glory are celebrating this right now, that you've come to faith in Jesus Christ. 